Moncrief on News Talk. You are listening to the Moncrief Show on News Talk. Joanna Fortune joins us once again for our parenting slot afternoon. Joanna. Afternoon, Sean. All right, first question. I'd been in touch about a year ago about my son and his tantrums. He gets so upset, he grunts and screams and sometimes would hurt himself in frustration. He's almost five now, and while things improved, they've not settled. I'm wondering if this is still normal territory and also would like to get guidance about how to handle him hurting himself. In the last two weeks, he's had four episodes where he gets uncontrollably upset and he's also wetting the bed. He is obviously going through something and it's so awful to see him and so sad not to be able to do anything. One meltdown lasted an hour and I really was so unsure what to do. In the moment, we won't or can't listen. When I try to say anything, he pulls his ears. He's also scratching his face and throwing his body around. We aren't sure if we should be holding him to stop him hurting himself or whether this is just causing more distress. Is this still age appropriate? Is it okay to sit with him and let it pass even if it takes that long? Should we be trying to stop him hurting himself? We do talk to him about feelings at other times of the day and they're uh, doing the same at creche. But we're feeling very helpless and would appreciate any help. Oh, the distress is palpable and not just his, but how distressing it is, Sean, to to bear witness to your child's distress like this and to not be able to help them when you're hardwired to want and need to make it better Mm. for them. So I think, you know, parental distress is also a part of this and how to manage our own. I suppose it's how to manage the distress of a distressed child. Now, all of that said... What's being described here is a heightened level of distress over a prolonged or extended period of time. So this is going on at least a year because you mentioned it a year ago. Yeah. And really what you're detailing is a heightened level of distress now. So in one way, when you say is this still appropriate or so-called normal for his age, children under seven co-regulate their emotions in response to the available important adults in their lives. So when they're losing it, I'm not suggesting you are some Zen responder because you Mm. won't be, but you can't lose it with them. You need to be lower than they are so that you're setting the tone and they can co-regulate. So they match your temperature and you gradually bring them down with you. Up until seven and developmentally seven, not just chronologically, children will still need that. All of that said, what's being described here is a bit over and above what I would typically expect a five-year-old struggling to manage their emotions developmentally would look and sound like. It's the fact that it's four significant episodes in two weeks, uncontrollably upset, wetting the bed as a result, the pulling the ears. There's a lot of physical manifestation of the distress here, not just emotional. So I would like this little guy to be seen. What I mean by that is that you would ask your GP to refer you to CAMS, Child and Adolescent Mental Health Services. And I say that fully aware of the waiting lists and the pressure, but he's a really young child. So sometimes, I don't want to say all the time, but sometimes services have an early years intervention service that does attend to children five and under a little bit quicker. Mm. So it is always worth asking and seeing if private referral is within your means, you could certainly consult with a suitably qualified child psychotherapist or child psychologist who can also advise and support you in this, that either it's within what the work they do or they'll be able to say, do you know what? Seeing him in front of me, I know what's going on and I'm referring you to a suitable service. So I would act on that certainly. And it sounds like at five, he's probably in school. Either he's heading into junior infants or he's there. Mm. But you are in communication with your child care, your child care provider as well. 
and you're all talking to him about feelings, which is great. But when you say he won't or he can't listen, I'm going to lean into the can't because when he has flipped his lid, so to speak, and he's losing it, that part of his brain that he, that all of us rely on to take in and process that cognitive information, that beautiful, important, informed, verbal direction is not available to him. Mm -hmm. The emotional part of his brain is on fire. It's pulsating and that's what's calling the shots. And just beneath that part of the brain or behind, depending on how you're orienting yourself with this, is the part of the brain associated with coordination, with bodily arousal, motor regulation. And so that's when he's into that body flailing, that bedwetting, all of those pieces that are going on for him. This is a heightened level of distress. So do not speak to him in terms of calm down, stop shouting. Yeah. It's OK. All of that's good. If, if you can't stop yourself speaking, because we also have to check in with ourselves, what I'm going to say is it doesn't matter what you say, it's how you say it. I want you using a very low, melodic, rhythmic tone because it's that rhythm and synchrony and that low melodic tone that is going to trigger the kind of lullaby-esque soothing and calming. You're doing it rather than saying it. Yeah. So you could be saying anything. Yes. If you're saying mm. it in a calm voice, it's calming. So you want to do that. When you say hold him, I don't know what you mean by that. And I, I suppose I want to urge... If he's caution. hurting himself, I, I took to mean prevent him from and hurting try himself. Try not to yeah. get into a restraining because now mm. you're matching his physical harming himself. He will feel that he's being restricted and held by you. And also I like people to be specifically trained if they're doing yeah. that. But what I would say is if you can get close enough to him to get him into your arms and rock and sway with that low melodic voice, it's the cumulative effect that that will yeah. be soothing. You may not be able to get to him initially. He, just don't leave him alone with it. Make sure there's nothing he can hurt himself with around him. Mm -hmm. Don't sit so close that you're crowding him, intruding on him, but that he's not alone in that distress. You will be there to bear witness to it. And as soon as he's beginning, even remotely to lower, that's when you come in and say, is it OK if I put my hand on you? I'll put my hand beside you on your knee, on your elbow, on your shoulder. And if he's tolerating that, then the arm can go around him and scoop him into you. Yeah. So you're going to have to go slow and steady. But this is a very high level of distress. So I would like you to consult with your GP about a referral. Oh, the poor little fella. Jeannie Mac. My husband's parents live close enough to us, but barely make an effort to see our young children. After COVID, we booked a holiday with them. And my own mam, his parents fought and drank the whole time and their antics have so badly impa impacted us ever since. It's caused many arguments between myself and my husband because even though he knows how bad they are, his natural default is to defend. I've had a challenging time with months of sickness, broken sleep, but they turn a blind eye and they never help unless asked. However, I also know that I can't fully trust them with our kids. I've seen them take risks with their safety, e.g. car seatbelts not secure, leaving hot drinks within their reach etc. I am physically panic stricken when I see the dangers and it never leaves me. They only ever want to take the kids out to show them off so since Christmas I've tried inviting them over to play with the kids to build up a stronger bond but they just don't get it and won't come here on any regular basis to get down to the kids level and play. My mum is our only support but doesn't live as close by so myself and my husband don't get much time outside the house alone. We've decided marriage counselling is probably our next step but I feel his parents are to blame for so much of our attention. How do I protect my family? I mean... Whoa, okay. there's a lot there. <laughs> I'm just taking a breath actually. <laughs> yeah. There's layers to this one and the first layer is you have a concern um, for your 
the grandparents. You yes. have a concern about their behaviour, about their lifestyle practice, their well-being. And that's based on what you've observed on holiday and some of the behaviour after that. That's one layer to this. And the second layer is relationship strain that your relationship with your husband is under. Yeah, yeah. And Sean, I can't say those two things are linked. Because while we might want our parents or our parents-in-law, grandparents in our children's lives to be an active support, it might suit us to do mm. that. It would really help us. Grandparents are not obliged to be that version of grandparent for us. They're yeah, really not. Absolutely, yeah. And if they want to be the grandparents who come on birthdays and Christmas and the holidays and their version of a holiday is have a few drinks, enjoy the sun as opposed to play in the pool or mind children so you and your husband can go out or to step in and come over on a regular basis to get down on the floor and play with children, that that is not an obligation they have to you. Mm. It's something you want. It would help you. It's something you might even need, but they're not obliged to meet that need for you. So yeah. I just, and I, I say that with empathy because it sounds like this this person, this parent is, is very stressed, completely overwhelmed and overwhelmed with you know, there's been COVID. These children sound young. We're talking about them playing on the floor and we're watching hot drinks. So I'm mm. deducing they're young children. And also you've been sick for months. You know, that's very concerning. You've been, you know, months of sickness, broken sleep. You are exhausted. You are depleted. You are burnt out. You are overstretched. You are overwhelmed. Everything that you're describing is linked to that emotional state. So you might be frustrated that the people around you aren't stepping in to pick up the slack for you. But again, they're not obliged to. If they're letting you down and they're showing you, and they are consistently, we won't be those people for you. We won't be that support for you. Yeah. Then it is actually about you and your husband sitting and within your family means and what's possible, seeing what you can arrange to bring in some outsourced support. That could start with somebody who could babysit one evening a week for two to three hours so the two of you can get out and spend some time together away from home, away from children, literally two to three hours. It could be that, you know, you say your mum is your only support and she's not living close by. So you plan and structure that around what she can give you. And um, But don't just lean on her, though, because that won't be enough. And then looking at what other supports do you need to bring in if you've been sick and unwell? Is there support you could bring into the house from a daytime perspective? Help with the kids, somebody who will yeah. get down on the floor and play with them for you so that you can rest, recuperate and recharge. So the marriage counselling piece at the end again rings a bell for me that there's a little more going on than maybe is possible to put in a, a letter in this setting. Yeah. I, th so, I, I suspect that one may have been considerably longer but we do sure. have to sometimes edit so these things I, I would say you know couples therapy is a good idea and I'm also going to add maybe consider some individual therapy yourself and not from a I'm so overwhelmed I need this but you know what there's a lot going on here and you deserve a space where you can emotionally exhale openly because it's sounding to me like you're emotionally exhaling about your husband's parents to him and that's putting him in a very difficult, difficult position, position. Of course, yeah. so I think, you know, look into individual therapy. It could run in parallel with your couple's therapy. You know, you're tending to your own process there and your relationship in couple's therapy. But if you want to start with the relationship piece first and see what comes from it, that's also a viable thing to do. And it's probably more cost effective and manageable to do one process at a time. But I do think I would act on that in the first instance, because if you're 
thinking in this has gone to we need couples counselling, then this is having an effect on your relationship. So trust your instinct and attend to that. Take your focus away from your parents-in-law and bring your focus to your own relationship and start building up what how you want it to be. Stop looking at their relationship because on the surface, there's concern about the grandparents, but this isn't really about the grandparents' behaviour. You mean she's not saying it's not your parents don't help me. It's I don't have enough help. Exactly that. And and while know. it would be nice if they could do it. Yeah. They don't have to. Yeah. They're just yeah. not available to do that. Yeah. But you are entitled to help and support. It is absolutely OK to need that and to ask for it. But don't keep asking the people who are persistently, consistently telling you no. Yeah. They're not going to give it to you. My mother passed uh, away earlier this year. She was like a third parent to my children. My son, six, seemed to be coping with her loss, but but my daughter, almost four, is really struggling, as am I. She cries often and gets upset at the slightest thing. She has been having tantrums, which is a new behaviour for her. She's extremely clingy to me, wants me there when she falls asleep and is displaying other regressive behaviours, such as coming into our bed at night, not wanting to bathe and putting tissues in her mouth, all of which she did as a baby and a toddler, but has since grown out of. In the midst of all this, she asks many questions about death when I'm alone with her and never to her dad. She has started playing with toys she says are dead or going to die. Most of the questions seem to be geared towards her making sense of the fact that I've lost my mother and that this means she will someday lose hers. She's made the connection that when she is a grown-up, I will die. I don't know how to balance comforting her and trying to reduce how much she is worrying with being honest about death. I find her needing me all the time, the constant upset and discussions about death and her granny very difficult to manage as I navigate my own grief. How can I support her through her heartbreak while I myself am heartbroken? Oh, I'm so sorry for your loss. You know, this is, do you know, Sean, this is such a powerful example of grief in small children. Yeah, you know, yeah. and I'm just reading it and really I'm feeling for the parent who wrote in, but also for this little one, you know, because at four years old, you can feel things so deeply, but it's so hard to express it. You know, mm. it's so hard to say, well, this is quite the existential phenomena I haven't quite gotten to grips <laughs> with, you know. So she's showing you and isn't she a smart little thing that she's doing that thinking and linking on? Wait a minute, if you could lose your mum. I could lose mine. So she's realising way more than just the death of her granny. And you know, we've spoken before because we get quite a few questions about children talking about death that between four and six years old, it's really developmentally normal for children to become fixated Mm. about death, even when it isn't an experience they've had. So she has hit this milestone of developmentally getting curious about death at a time of experiencing death. That's very intense for her because she ha- her understanding of death is trying to catch up with the emotional feeling of the loss mm, all at yeah. the same time. And, you know, when you describe she gets upset at the slightest thing, she's having the tantrums and she's clingy and wants you there going to sleep. Do you know what you're describing? Childhood grief. Yeah, that's exactly what it yeah. is. And she's doing exactly what she needs to be doing, which is grieving. And she's using you, her safe person. I know you're saying here that she doesn't bring it up with her dad as much, but she is locating this that you get it. You know how I'm feeling because it was your mom. Yes. Yeah. So you're going to understand this with and for me. And she will pick up on your own grief, your upset, your distress. So she's also saying, oh, that's me. I'm feeling like that, too. So Mm. we'll get through it together. What you're describing is regression. All of this is incredibly normal 
for a child who's grieving. And the grieving period, I hate to put a timeline on this because it really isn't it, it really just isn't like that. You know, it's very different for different people, but we would certainly allow three, six months, six months for children, for any of us, by the way, but for children to be regressing, to be experiencing symptoms of grief like this. Um, I, I do think, you know, you're talking about how do you support her heartbreak when you're heartbroken? You're heartbroken together. Yeah. Okay. Let her know that you're also sad. So when she's sad, saying you're sad because granny has died and I'm sad too. And you're crying because you're sad. And when I'm sad, I cry as well. So that she knows that she's not alone with this Mm. and that what she's feeling is quote unquote normal. And there are books, of course, there are. But, you know, I also think you could make if this is something you feel able to tolerate. And that's very important with this. Like a memory board, just get a, you know, like a cork notice board. You can put up in your office or something mm. and pins and put photos of of the children of of you all with granny doing things birthday parties experiencing so that she and talk about the stories as you're pinning the photos you can hang that somewhere she can see you can also hang it somewhere you cannot see all the time put it on the inside yeah. of a door or something like that where you can close it if it's too much it may it might be too soon for that you could also turn it into a scrapbook and if it's too soon just park that until you are ready for it Britta Teckentrop has a beautiful book called The Memory Tree it talks about a beloved animal in the forest who lies down and his life ends and all the other animals gather around and together they share stories about the animal who has died and a tree, a memory tree grows. Um, Molly Potter has a book called Let's Talk About When Someone Dies. I'm going to give you a heads up. That is quite the tour of death. So it talks about it in every stage and step. It's, it's very child appropriate, but it's direct language. Okay. So I would suggest, you know, your husband, who's not that I, I'm saying he's not grieving, but a step removed from this that he read it first. Yeah. And Patrice Carr's The Invisible String is a famous one where you can talk to your daughter about how granny's not with us anymore, but we are connected in our hearts, our heart to her heart forever. And again, place that within your own family belief system. This just needs time, Sean. I think hold in mind that for young children, Some of them will benefit from some play-based therapy or linking in with a support group like the Rainbows groups that run around communities around supporting children with loss. And again, though, they will want you to wait about six months before you do that. Yeah. And when she says... um I am, I'm don't know how to balance comforting her and trying to reduce how much she's worrying with being honest about death. Yeah, that I wondered what you've told her so far. Yeah. And I think this often comes up and it's our own difficulty with the language and the need to say what's happened. Don't say granny has passed away or she's no longer with us or we've lost her or that, that kind of ambivalent language. It brings us comfort, but it confuses children. You have to say granny has died and that means her life has ended. And when somebody's life has ended, they don't come back. And it depends on how far you want to go. And again, you might not be in a position to be the person to deliver that language. Yeah. So you might have to pull in your support system, your partner, any support people around you who can do that. But making sure this little one knows what has happened to granny, where has she gone? Um, as opposed to going, well, Granny's just not with us anymore. Yes, it's yeah. too vague for small well, children. Because I, I, I was getting from that 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 because she's obviously made the connection. Granny died, and therefore, yeah. Mammy's going to die someday. And you know, 
that must be a tricky one because if she's starting to ask that question, is. you know, you don't want to lie, but oh, no, you don't want to distress lie. her by never saying, lie. yes, like, I am going to die. Yes, know? and don't say things like, I'll never, don't say any of that either. But you do want to say that I'm healthy and that I'm I'm very well and I, we take care of ourselves and I'm planning to live for a very long time. And I don't know the circumstances of Granny, but if she was unwell, because Granny was unwell and everyone tried very hard for her to get better, but her body wasn't able to get better. Mm. But bringing it back to you're healthy, I'm healthy and granny was very old and whatever way you want to put it, but don't say it won't happen. Acknowledge her fear. You know, sometimes you're scared that this is going to happen. That's a really big fear to have. Just allow her to have the fear. We don't have to always come in with, let me fix that for you. Yes. Yeah, you can't Sometimes we can't. Yeah. Yeah. Joanna, thanks a million as ever. Uh, Joanna Fortune there. Moncrief, weekdays at 2 p.m. on News Talk.